Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your stories to me has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there. No questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience uh, one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So... Your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. That's something. Hi, everybody. My name is Eric Garneau, and this is part one of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories February 2015 podcast, House Rules, featuring the magnificent House Theater of Chicago. We welcome this great company to share with us their latest project, The Hammer Trinity, and we also welcome friends and fellow nerds Steve Persh, Mark Coulomb, and Brandon Kirkman to the stage for this episode. Plus, you get music from myself, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman. Uh, guys, there is so much Nerdalogs goodness coming up in the next month or so here. First off, you're going to be getting a New York Stories episode weekly for the next little bit, since we've been doing a ton of bonus episodes. One of those episodes is coming up this weekend as the Nerdalogs fly out to L.A. to do two shows, one sketch and one storytelling, in the City of Angels. The, the city, not the movie. Uh, so if you're a California person, this would be a great chance to see us. We'll be at UCB Sunset this Friday night at 10.30, and at Dinosaur Coffee on Sunset, Saturday at 7. That is the Your Story Show, UCB is the sketch. Uh, we have some really fantastic guests on both shows, and we are super excited to go, especially since Chicago, like, super sucks right now. Uh, and we would love to see you there. Some more info for both of these is on our website, www.nerdalogs.com. Uh, besides that, there's also our usual lineup of sweet podcasts, like Talking Games with Tim and Clayton every Tuesday, and MBSing with Mary Beth Smith every Wednesday. We also have some exciting Chicago show announcements coming soon, so stay tuned to our website and Facebook page for more on those. Until then, enjoy! Um, so we always play songs that, uh, that fit the theme of the night. The theme of the night is House Rules, and because the house makes the rules, we actually asked you guys to tell us what we should play tonight. Uh, so I'm not going to introduce these songs, Dwight's not going to introduce these songs. Instead, uh, our friend, uh, Chris Casey Kasem Geiger is going to introduce these songs for us. So, the backstory is actually it's someone record like little bits, uh, that does like a Casey Kasem impression and he sent them to me in a bad file format. So Chris here is, is Casey now. Casey live! I, I was just told about this 20 minutes ago, so. Yeah. Uh, I, I apologize if my, uh, my impersonation's a little rough. <laughs> So let's start with our number five. (laughs) 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 Our first request of the night comes to us from Honora Seidman of Chicago, Illinois, who writes, Dear Nerdalogs, I absolutely adore, adore the Beach Boys. I love them so much. Sometimes I like to write fan fiction about them. <laughs> My favorite story is one that posits an alternate universe where its group member Mike Love, not Brian Wilson, who ends up going insane and becoming unable to function in public. And also, he's shrunken down to the size of an ant. <laughs> You'd make my night if you played that soundtrack to that fan fiction, Queen's Crazy Little Thing Called Love. <laughs> What? (laughs) Well, take heart, Nora, because your request is our number five. (laughs) This thing called a I just. 
this day. This ain't all night. It cried. exclusively listen to songs that you can hear in commercials during football games. <laughs> and there's nothing I love more than music that fixates on architecture and what colors things are. <laughs> I'd just die if you played my very favorite song, Pink Houses, by John <laughs> Well, Kevin, we hope you don't die too much, because your request is up. Number four. <laughs> Living in a black neighborhood He's got an interstate Running through his front yard You know he thinks he's got it so good There's a woman In the kitchen Cleaning up the evening slob And he looks at her and he says Hey darling, I can remember when you could Stop the clock but ain't that America with you and me? Ain't that America something to see, baby? Ain't that America home of the free? Yeah, little pink houses for you and me. Oh yeah. This young man in a t-shirt. Greasy hair, greasy smile. He said, Lord, this must be my destination. Because he told me when I was younger, said, Boy, you're gonna be pressed But just like everything else, those old crazy dreams gotta cave in when. Oh, but ain't that America with you and me? Ain't that America Something to see, baby Ain't that America Home of the free Little pink house
Just people and more people. What do they know? No, no. Go to work in some high rise and vacation down the Gulf Mexico. he comes to a show, all the crowd does is they want to see this guy, and they just keep chanting, Steve! 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 Hey, everybody. I'm really glad to be here. I uh, drove down from Milwaukee just a couple hours ago. I got to see Eric, Dwight, and Claire this weekend uh, up in Milwaukee at the Milwaukee or Midwest Gaming Convention in Milwaukee. Um... I'm really glad to be back here. I think this is my first time telling a story at Your Stories in Chicago. Uh, and I don't know how long, maybe a year or so. Um, so uh, I'm going to talk about uh, one of the rules on the Internet, and that's you have to name things. Um, domain names, in particular, are a really important part of, of the Internet. Uh, I, I got into building websites uh, towards the tail end of college, I basically took one class uh, on web development, and then I, then I had an internship at Looking Glass Theater Company. And during the course of that summer, it came up, uh, we should have a blog, probably, and an online magazine. This was 2006, when not everybody had a blog. Uh, and I said, oh, yeah, I know how to do that, because I took one class. Um, and over the course of the summer, I made myself know how to do that. Um, but one of the first questions is, well, what do we call it? What do we call this online magazine that we're starting? And one of the artistic directors, Phil Smith, was like, I got it, definitely. Art Antica. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does that mean? <laughs> Asked everyone else. <laughs> On staff, uh, who wasn't an ensemble member with the theater company. It was a very specific reference to a misspoken line in the company's early history when someone was supposed to say Antarctica and yelled, uh, Artantica. Perfect name for the online magazine. Uh, this was an argument, uh, for a little while. Uh, I think the compromise we came to was it'll be lookingglassmagazine.com, but it will be called Antarctica. Art Antica. Uh, so <laughs> coming up with good domain names is tough, um, which is something I have struggled with uh, over the purchasing of, well, I could count on this list how many domain names I've bought in the uh, eight years since. What I'm going to do now is, is give you a glimpse into my addiction to purchasing domain names. So <laughs> Looking Glass Magazine was the first domain name I purchased. StevePersh.com, of course, had to get that. SteveVector.com for my uh, Twitter handle uh, and username everywhere else. Uh, I wrote a play at the tail end of college uh, that involved the purchase of six domain names. <laughs> the play was called uh, The Screens Between. It was about someone coming back um, 
from the Iraq War, and his fiance was addicted to a soap opera. So back from Iraq.net. Megstersmusings.com, that was the, the fiance's blog. Feathermail.net, that was the mail service she used. CSB Daytime TV was the website for <laughs> the soap opera she was addicted to. And also, of course, Between Screens, because we were going back and forth on should the play be called The Screens Between or Between Screens. <laughs> uh, then after college, I started making um, notes and writing a, a play based on the 1992 presidential campaign. Um, <laughs> so I, of course, had to buy change versus more of the same dot com, <laughs> which was how James Carville summarized uh, the election. Uh, change v same dot com and one other that I couldn't find in my email history. Uh, I was considering framing this this story as um, as an AA parody uh, because I'm addicted to buying domains, and I thought that's that's really not appropriate. Alcoholism is a serious topic. But then I realized that I actually didn't remember buying a lot of these. (laughs) And it was only through looking through my email history that I discovered um, a political phase where I bought (laughs) thewaristerror.com. DraftJesse2012.com. Uh... As I said, I was a theater major, so a couple of these relate to early theater involvement post-college. MargotBordelon.com, ClayIsHere.com for the play Clay, which was somewhat produced by an organization called Ghosts and Gods, so GhostsAndGods.com. LoveOrama.net purchased for the house theater when I was on their junior board, and LoveOrama was a Valentine's Day fundraiser. AndersonVillains.com for one of my... Many long-form improv groups that I had over the years. A couple for organizations that I no longer belong to, the TitanicPlayersRock.com, my college improv group that I bought after I was in the group, uh, two domain names that my high school homeroom teacher asked me to buy at my five-year high school reunion. <laughs> JaegersTech.com and Tech400.com. Uh, a couple of these relate to silly projects that didn't go very far. Wikishakes.com, which would have been Wake, uh, Shakespeare Wikipedia. Um, Beerabby.net, which was for uh, a web series I did with Claire where she was uh, giving advice, like Dear Abby, but it was Beer Abby because <laughs> beer was involved. Um, and that brings me to, to a series of domain names that involve ex-girlfriends. Um, <laughs> StephenClaireBestTeamEver.com <laughs> I know Yeah, I, I, me too uh, <laughs> until, until I was searching My domain name history Before after they were ex-girlfriends Before <laughs> That was an anniversary present <laughs> 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 I forgot! I forgot! Oh, man. Uh, so, of course, ClaireCFriedman.com, ClaireCeleste.com. Um, the post-breakup exchanging of goods is weird enough. It's especially weird when you have the, like, oh, here's the stuff you left in my apartment, and I need to get you your domain names at some point. <laughs> um, but, yeah, a lot of these are just, like, friends and acquaintances, um... A friend from college was like, I need the golden nugget.com. Okay, I'll get it. Uh, family, the loner ranger.com, my aunt's, uh, interior decorating business. Uh, cooccupation.com, my brother's an occupational therapist. Appy hours, because he had an event where they were talking about the apps that they used. Uh, andypersh.com, andrewpersh.com, susancampbellpersh.com. And finally, all the domain names that I bought related to the Nerdalogs. BillNihilist.com. YouOnlyYolaOnce.com. See, the trouble with being a domain name addict is you think of something that's just a single joke. Like, I need to get the .com. YouOnlyYolaOnce is a single joke. I don't really need that .com. Um... 
but I also have sadtrivia.com, uh, fisticuffsgame.com, friendzonester.com, a domain name purchased for a potential sketch that never actually happened. Um, and, and I thought I was getting over it. I peaked somewhere around owning 30-some domain names. I was really happy when it got down to 11. I was like, I'm so close to having only one, only one page of results in, in my, uh, management screen for the domain names I own, but because it's 11, it clicks over from 10 to 11. Alright. Um, and then I thought of another joke. I just read Twilight of the Elites by Chris Hayes, and I was thinking, boy, would it be funny if there were clubs for this book like there are lean in clubs lean in the book written by Sheryl Sandberg um or that's, is that her name yeah. yeah that's right um so twilight of the elites dot club is now an extension this is a terrible problem for domain name addicts that there are a bunch of new top level extensions dot limo dot luxury dot anything dot sexy dot pics this is a problem because i was able to buy twilight of the elites dot club for five bucks. But also, the, the .com was available, so I'm like, I'm taking that. Chris Hayes, if you're listening to this podcast and want Twilight of the Elites.com back, I'll give it to you. Um, Al Gore.website <laughs> was the third. The trouble with being a domain name addict is once you buy two in a night for Twilight of the Elites, Al Gore.website is just sitting there for $4.88. Um... <laughs> Which brings me to uh, another another tough part of the internet, quizzes. Um, nerdalogs.com is our current website. Also, thenerdalogs.com redirects to nerdalogs.com. Uh, nerdalogs.website was available. And I thought, that is so dumb, that .website is a top-level uh, extension. But doing dumb things is one of the... Best parts of the Nerdalogs. <laughs> so, by applause, should the Nerdalogs website switch to Nerdalogs.website? <laughs> All right, by applause, by applause, should I keep it Nerdalogs.com? All right, well, I will take that under consideration. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. It is a real treat to see you twice in one weekend. That, uh, man, fucking killing it. Guys, we have some very special guests in the house. Kevin Reeder already mentioned them. Their information is on this card right here that I dropped five minutes ago. Uh, the House Theater is here tonight. They are here in anticipation of their soon opening, The Hammer Trinity. We're going to tell you all about that throughout the night. But right now, we're going to bring up The Hammer Trinity's playwright. This is Chris Matthews. <laughs> Um, hi. Uh, hi. Uh, my name is Chris Matthews. Uh, I'm a company member with the House Theater of Chicago. Um, if you don't know anything about the house, uh, we've been around for about a little over 10 years now. Uh, we do all original works um, that tend to be very epic and imaginative in ambition and scope. Um, we, Our mission is to unite Chicago in the spirit of community through amazing feats of storytelling. Um, and while that could take on a lot of faces, um, it tends to mostly represent itself through the fact that most of us sort of grew up on Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg and early Star Wars and our sort of Joseph Campbell fiends. And so a lot of our work tends to be very uh, mythic and epic and imaginative in scope. We've done um, adaptations of some of the popular myths like... Uh, the Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan. We did an adaptation of Ray Bradbury's uh, stories that are found in the Martian Chronicles called Rocket Man. Um, we've done our own sort of anachronistic, updated play musical version of the Nutcracker that sort of takes the, uh, sort of returns to the basics of the story and puts it on a modern day family dealing with grief. Um, 
that's that's sort of on the adaptation end, and and all of those things involve a lot of uh, wonderful fantasy or sci-fi or fantastic elements. Um, and then on the orig- original end, uh, we've done like a bio play on Harry Houdini and sort of mythologized it by um, pitting his uh, his his insane acts of. Um, escapism and conquering the impossible with uh, a sort of fabled um, um, contest with death. And it was called Death and Harry Houdini. And um, we performed the water torture cell escape live on stage. Um, we did a, tril- a musical trilogy, a crazy musical trilogy, um, a, a superhero trilogy that part one was a Western, part two was a like a Japanese martial arts punk rock show and then part three was set in 1930s chicago and it was big band and uh jazzy and smoky and uh and very noir um we've done an, uh, a story chronicling the uh the hatfield and mccoy feud and and the sort of uh epic rivalry that they shared um we we're sort of all over the map and uh we sort of tend to explore a lot of different genres um and I think we're pretty fun. Um, that said, with all the fun, um, it's all sort of like in a spirit to uh, reconnect with the, with the audience that we're trying to serve. And um, as far as like house rules are concerned, my probably my favorite rule is a non-rule that we have, which is uh, not trying not trying to create any artificial barriers between ourselves on stage or in the house um, with our audience. We uh, hope and strive to make sure that theater is a very communal uh, event. Um, in which we're all sharing and taking part in uh, storytelling. So we strive to really find a connection between what we're doing on stage and and the uh, reaction and participation in the audience. That doesn't necessarily mean uh, throwing popcorn at the villains. I suppose it could. We'd probably have to serve popcorn. Maybe we should. We should. We should serve popcorn. Okay. Yeah. Serve popcorn. Um. Um. But uh. We, we hope that uh. Like I said, we, to sort of return theater to a more communal experience. Um, to make it fun. Um, yeah. Um, and, and, and so, uh, a few years ago, uh, Nate, our artistic director, Nathan Allen and I, uh, we've partnered on a couple of projects. We, we wrote a, a story with Jake Minton called Dave Da Vinci Saves the Universe about a time traveling scientist trying to save his daughter, um, from, uh, horrible fate. Um, a, a show called The Sparrow, which was about a young girl with telekinetic powers who found herself uh, serving as the um, small town cheerleader superhero. Um, and we wrote a show um, about a, a young girl called Rose in the Rhyme, in which a young girl has to sort of save her town from its sadness and sorrow and poverty by going and claiming a magic... Uh, coin to return to the town and bring prosperity back and defeat the witch and uh, oh also she'll then turn into the witch because it sort of corrupts her the power um, anyway I, I just kind of ruined the whole thing um, but uh, if all of this is just sort of paint a picture in the backdrop of, of, of sort of where we live um, a few years ago Nate had been uh, sort of flirting with a, an attraction to uh, the King Arthur legend um, and and wanting to maybe see about what was possible in our interests there. And we, we as a company, turned 10, um, having survived a decade, which included uh, a really sort of quick um, burst onto the scene where we were sort of instantly praised and, and, and lauded, and, and we, we experienced some, some immediate popularity that uh, was overwhelming to all of us, and it felt like we were doing it, man. It felt like we were, like, out to slay, you know, the dragon of boring theater that we were so upset against in college, and as our teachers were trying to pound uh, American realism into us, we were like, no, no, there could be another way! <laughs> and, it, and, and our way is better, and we're gonna go out and do it, man! And it felt like we were doing it. Um, and then, and then uh, you know, we all turned 28, and we all uh, uh, sort of 
uh, suddenly had other priorities than this little like theater company that we'd been creating. We all started like you know having families or thinking about like, well, you know what? I'm not really getting paid much money, so <laughs> I'm gonna go do this other thing. Or um, you know, I actually don't want to do theater anymore. I want to be a physical therapist. Um, so so there was like a, a, a weird disintegration of this community that we'd been building, and then um, and then the, and that timed in with the recession and it was just all horrible and it just felt like it all was falling apart because we all hated each other and we were upset and like no one was happy because we we we'd gotten everything that we wanted but it was nothing that we wanted um and then and then and then and then and then, uh, and then things calm down like they do a little bit. And, and there was a sort of like natural, uh, return of the people who wanted to return and a, and a sort of a, a peace with the people who didn't. Um, and, and it, it felt like we had sort of survived this strange, this, it's not strange, this very natural decade that, you know, is your twenties mm-hmm. or, you know, is, is the VH1 behind the music story of every band, you know? Um, and, uh, so, Suddenly, the, the Arthur myth felt very uh, sort of attractive on a on a biographic autobiographical level. Like on, on a ooh, this is this sort of charts our experience on a mythic level. You know, you've got Arthur uh, and Merlin building this this ideal of of a round table in which everyone has a say, and we're gonna make, create our own Camelot, and it's and we're we're going to change the world for the better and set it right the way it should be, and then it all falls apart due to inner tensions and struggles and facing outer foes that maybe you should or shouldn't be facing, um, and it all disintegrates, and then it comes back together. Question mark is something that is. You know, everyone's better for having had the experience, question mark. <laughs> or if some characters are dead. Um, <laughs> what did we learn? And, and anyway, it, it just sort of charted a, a beautiful sort of, uh, well, it's, 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 it's a beautiful cycle of, of myth. Um, and, and we started examining that, and, and then it sort of, it, it didn't seem, um, it, it didn't, it didn't seem accessible or right, or it, it felt short of our ambitions to just adapt Arthur, you know? Um, it's, it's so tied to, specifically tied to nationalist England. Like, it's, it's theirs. It's their myth. It's, uh, it's their origin story, you know? And, and we, we started asking ourselves, like, well, what if we put it in America? Um, so, like, in true, you know, Hero with a Thousand Faces style, we started changing the faces of the, of the players and changing the setting. And, and, and interesting, uh, interesting things started happening when we, when we took this story of, of a would-be king and trying to, like, get this person their crown in, in a sort of setting that, um, as we understand it as Americans, is completely um, uh, antithetical to how our nation was born. Um, and 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 while while uh, what we've come to to make isn't quite it, it's sort of not quite America. All of our dressings are sort of uh, American in their look. So it, it hopefully it asks some good questions. So I'm taking over time. Um, what we've come to is like creating this like trilogy of plays called the Ironstag King, um, the Crownless King, and then Part Three, the, the Excelsior King, which we've done in succession in the past couple of years. We, we started with Part One, and then the next year we produced Part Two, the Crownless King. And in presenting Part Three, the Excelsior King, we're doing all three in a row um, in full days of uh, full marathon events, um, and we hope that people will come. Because it's nine hours, and uh, it's fantasy, and it's uh, it's uh, magicians and warriors and girls with bows and arrows, and and we've never really quite delved into the like specifically the high fantasy genre, um, but we think it's fun, and um, we're in the middle of rehearsals now, and uh, it's it's going well, and I hope um, well we're doing it at least, um, and. Uh, 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 we're going to be reading some of it a little bit later tonight, so hopefully it'll give you a, a peek into what we're up to. Um, but uh, it's it's definitely been a fun experience to sort of chart uh, this uh, group of of unlikely friends through the rise and fall of their own internal community. 
um, and, and to see what is the point of any of it. <laughs> Thehousetheater.com. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Uh, let me read the official plot synopsis of the Hammer Trinity here. Follow the story of young Casper Kent recovering the lost hammer and taking the crown, defending it against pirates and the crownless faction, and choosing if he will relinquish the hammer's tremendous power for the greater good. Sounds pretty fucking cool. All right, guys. We are going to hear more from the Hammer Trinity later. Right now, one of my very favorite people in Chicago is coming up to the stage. He is a, a good friend of mine. He's worked with the Nerdalogs some. We we host his uh, Poor Choices podcast. He also hosts a great podcast called An Hour with Your Ex. Uh, the ex is now his wife. This is Mark Coulomb. Woo! I'm going to do this because this is unnoticed. <laughs> Welcome to Lake Wobegon. The story of Romulus and Remus never really seemed that outrageous to me based on my childhood. In the founding of Rome, uh, Romulus and Remus, two boys born of a uh, vestibule college education virgin, uh, were left to be raised by a wolf, uh, much like my upbringing, but instead of a wolf, we had a diabetic basset hound. Uh, my parents were nice enough-ish, but seemed to work very hard, and as such, my brother and eventually my younger sister were left completely to our own devices from a shockingly young age. We had no rules. I mean, like, there was one rule, and I'll get to that later, but it wasn't even like my parents attempted to pretend that they were in charge. My dad went to work in the morning and came home a little after seven. My mom worked from three in the afternoon to about midnight. This created a gap in child care from three to seven, a void in established order wherein things caught fire, noses were bloodied, and all matter of uh, television and violence was watched. <laughs> it was like Thunderdome, only instead of a midget named Master Blaster, I was a 12-year-old in charge. Uh, I believe all statuses of limitations of uh, all statutes of limitations have exceeded. So let me explain the horror. Yes, the horror of my time as a twelve-year-old Colonel Kurtz. Uh, a single-family starter home, though great for a young family uh, with maybe a baby on the way, presents a bit of a problem when the family of five, whose only standing rule was no punching above the neck, <laughs> which even. <laughs> Which, even that was broken, uh, proving mutually assured destruction means nothing when you're dealing with nihilists and tweens. Uh, with a house that small and my brother and I locked in a hot war that started with the notion of his birth and continued only with occasional breaks and hostilities for major holidays, though a Tet-style offensive did occur in Christmas of 93. Recent events have found us in a cold war with only the minor overtures of peace, mostly the text- texting of Simpsons gifts. For the most, <laughs> for most anxious kids, I imagine uh, the turn of the knob behind them and the lock of the door is a relief from the violence and uh, abject terror of junior high. When I reached my door, I prepared for war. Sometimes I started it, sometimes he started it, with, but without any rules of order or basic human rights conventions, you never really knew who was at fault. We've always been at war with little bro Asia, haven't we? <laughs> The roof of our small California ranch home provided a tactical advantage. You had to scale a rickety fence and then sort of leap on a roof trying not to dangle from a gutter lampoon style. But once up there, you were safe, at least till my dad bought a longer hose. Uh, the fear I can only imagine soldiers in trench warfare saw upon the uh, unveiling of a Gatling gun holds only a tenth of the fear that ripped through our endless war with the introduction of water-based weaponry. There was no safe purchase to be found. Cheap locks on cheaper doors provided little protection to two morons out for blood. The need for affordable housing in California potentially outstripped the ambition of skill of the artisans that threw up our tract home fast and cheap enough so that my parents could afford it. We tore through that place like Jonathan Winters through a service station. <laughs> With no parents and absolutely no inter- uh, supervision, we went feral. Why did, so- we- why did so many things get set on fire? Because we were good. <laughs> a teen boy's quest for fire needs no explanation. The patio in the backyard were our testing grounds. Action figures melted, papers burned. If something was underneath the sink, we attempted to see what sort of conflagration we could start with it. Did I mention this was California, a state perpetually in drought? 
A fairly busy two-lane road behind our home and an overgrown lemon tree provided a never-ending stream of targets and citrus-based weapons. <laughs> what reason could a kid have to throw produce at a speeding car? We may never know because I have no idea what that what kid did it. If my parents ask, you better tell them it was Jared down the street. Everybody blames that kid for everything. I think that motherfucker is still grounded. I saw on Facebook they had to cancel his 35th birthday. Uh, I mean, we were like an Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just fight. Although that isn't fair. We did have one rule, and it was never said out loud, and, and I can't remember if it was ever invoked. It was just the unspoken moron's agreement. Thou shalt not punch someone in, around, near, or on, in the face. Do not do that. You look at my brother, you so much think about him, and his nose just starts bleeding. It's just too much evidence. You can't hit him in the face. <laughs> on advice from my lawyer and fear of standing trial at the Hague, I can only speculate who broke that single rule. It could have been me. Who's to say this many years later? Memory's malleable and subjective. But someone's nose was hit, and it exploded like the fist of the goddamn North Star. There was no going back. I had assured... Someone had assured our mutual destruction. <laughs> but by removing that one simple rule, we went past Thunderdome to the sort of place I really only feel like Dante or David Simon should be accurately describing. <laughs> What had been holes in the drywall due to toys being thrown was now due to the sort of things that would get disqualified in the UFC. I mean, it all got to be a bit of a bummer. <laughs> Eventually, I moved out, and we all grew up. Things have chilled out, and there is complete cessation and uh, overt hostilities. Although I said earlier, we've settled into a cold, maybe cool war. We've developed rules and can even be in the same demilitarized zone together, as long as there's a third party to negotiate our terms. Bless my little Swiss sister. Thanks, Thank you, Mark. Glad to see you can make it here today and are healthy and, and standing. Charges, man. man. <laughs> Mark, you're my hero. Coming up next to the stage, a newcomer to your stories. I'm so super stoked that he's here. This gentleman hosts the uh, a show called the Ego Trip Club, the first Wednesday of every month at Uncommon Ground in Rogers Park. This is Brendan Kirkman. Yeah, look at that. I'm not sitting down, guys. It's illegal. So I think this tricorder here will record all of it going here. So start off with a Star Trek reference. Why not? Um, take it out of the mic stand, too. Very professional. So a little bit about me first. Yes, I'm a skeleton that put on a human suit and decided to try out this human thing. Going pretty great 29 years in. Um, but, like, I've always been a very nerdy person, so I felt, like, really at home look into this seemed like a really cool event and then uh, I saw Kevin Budnick was going to do it too not here tonight because he had to work so shout out to that guy he's really fucking awesome you should check out his art sometime he knows what's going on told him I'd do that um, but a little bit before we get into the stories I recently bought my own sound system because I'm getting more serious about doing stand up and like a person who enjoys the smell of his own farts way too much I set it up in my own household and started doing my sets before I'd come out um, but just to make sure everything felt right, I set up three plush animals, uh, two of them being a Pokemon, one of them being a Goomba, so I could have a mixture of race and, you know, class. Um, just so you could. So that way I didn't feel like a crazy person doing this in my own home. And, like, I realized halfway through doing these sets with this all out that, like, if I hadn't taken up stand-up, I would be a serial killer. <laughs> And to cement that deal, I actually pointed at one of the Goombas and said, this guy knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> During my set, when I was saying this verbatim to nobody. Um, so yeah, I'm really glad it's worked out for me so far. Um, but guys, we'll see as time goes here. I'm going to try to you know figure out of the five minutes we got going. I'm going to go into a story about the first time I did shrooms. And then if we have a little bit and see how it's going after that, I'll talk about one of my inspirations in life, which is the Mancubus from Doom 2. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, we'll start off with the shrooms. So about five weeks ago, I did shrooms for the first time. I've always avoided the more harder drugs because like, whenever I see cocaine, I just feel like I'm going to get stabbed. Like Whether it's a movie <laughs> or whether it's like in real life, which has happened a few times, like somebody's just going to be like, hey, that kidney's coming out. Um, <laughs> 
But no, a friend talked me into it, and uh, the first thing I did is uh, we ingested it, and it tastes like mushrooms, which is really disquieting because it feels like it shouldn't taste like what it is because it's a drug. It should be like taste like candy. I, it was really upsetting that it actually tasted like mushrooms. Um, but then we went to the Logan Square Hardware Arcade. That is not a good place to do shrooms for the first time. I am naturally a nervous person who doesn't like social activity, and there's a lot of flashing lights. So you take that, amplify it, and then the lights are like, hey, did you know that Satan's living in your, bro- your blood and you might come out? Have fun, bro. Uh. So I was dealing with that for a few uh, hours while I was there. But right before it kicked in, I started to uh, play the Simpsons arcade game. Round of applause if we've played that. Yeah. A really good one. Um, before I did, I had spent $20 in quarters because I was on shrooms to play it. And... <laughs> I got so into the game that I thought I was going to die if I didn't beat the game. Like, I just had made that decision because I was on shrooms. I was connected to Lisa Simpson. And if we didn't get through that Mr. Burns in the robot suit, we're going to die in real life. We need to do this. So I ended up spending $2 and quarters to get to the end because I'm still a fucking pro at that game. Um... And then I realized that it's just lights coming through a screen. It's nothing. It's not real. I'm just atoms with space between them. There's hardly anything there. You, It's not real either. And then Mr. Smithers is throwing bombs at me. Why is, why is he throwing bombs at me? Bombs is a weird word. Bombs. Bomb. 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 Oh, you want to play the arcade machine? No, go ahead, sir. So at that point, I had uh, $18 worth in quarters in my hands. And I started shaking them and shaking them because they felt really good in my hand. They felt really good. And then I realized that there's a social contract you sign uh, that when you're on drugs, you still act like you're not on drugs. And realized everyone was looking at me still. So I then realized that not only have I signed this contract, but also money's worthless. It's just a social contract we have between each other. And I started grabbing two to four quarters and handing them to everyone in the arcade going, money's worthless. (laughs) And then everybody really liked the guy in shrooms at the Logan Square Hardware Arcade. So yeah, I'm going to do shrooms again. They're fucking great. Um, this is a Christian drug-free podcast, right? Okay, just want to make sure. Um, so I think I have enough time to get into this too, which is um, doing stand-up as well. You always want to relate to the crowd. So I'm going to get a little personal here, and I hope I don't alienate you guys. But I want to talk about the Mancubus from Doom 2. As a kid, at the tender age of nine, I got Doom 2, and I discovered the Mancubus, which is a giant creature that has two flamethrowers for arms. Basically, the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Like, he was my role model from then on out. The only way he could have been cooler is if he had flamethrower feats as well. Like, just whole thing decked out. Because when you're a kid and playing nothing but violent video games, it's important that you have something that can kill people and shoot them. No doubt. Like, the only thing second to that would be stabbing. But, like, guns are better because you can shoot people. Stabbing, you have to go close. And, like, the only thing that would have been cooler if they were sword hands that shot out mini swords. But flames are still cooler. And uh, plus the economics behind it, guys. Come on, let's be serious. Flame, hands, infinite. You don't have to worry about the money. Mini swords, so much money. I've run the numbers. Don't worry. But as I got older, he remained my role model. And then at the tender age of 15, I started to turn into the skeleton of a man you see before yourself as Mother Nature put the prepubescent wand over me and started to turn me into that fine man. And the question came up, and I started to question my role model. How does he J.O.? How how does he do it? You can't even touch a tit, let alone titties. What... I can't respect this man anymore. He was in a real, like, monkey paws conundrum of a situation there. (laughs) Which is ironic because a monkey paws a hand, which is what you need for touching genitals, and that's all I was interested at that time. So he started to fall out of favor. But then I came back to revisit this idea one more time as an adult, and, you know, now I'm I'm living in the modern world. I'm a modern man. I I have a job. I have bills to pay. There's things to do. So now I just have question after question. Like, how does he eat? 
What, he has no hands. Is there like a bun he pushes that shoots like food out of the hose into his mouth? In that case, how does he refill it? Is there a man who comes in and refills the hose gun hand man? And if that's true, what's his situation? What's the caregiver? Is he employed by a private company? Is it employed by the government? Does he have good medical coverage? He's working in a space station dominated by hell. He needs to have that. There's no doubt. Is he happy with his life? Does he have a love in his life? And did I just read two hours worth of Doom Wikipedia articles to make up for the shame of masturbating to weird pornography before I wrote this whole bit? Questions we will never know, and we will never have answered about the mysterious life cycle of the mancubi. But before I go, I just want to leave on this note. Right. Um... I'm really, like, that was great, but I was really trying to get us a sponsorship deal with EWTN, and I, I think that's just all going to fall through now, so. <laughs> Praise be with you. I get that joke. Thank you. That's the Christian Broadcasting Network, guys. <laughs> yeah. References. All right, we're going to do. I actually didn't get it. Uh, oh, my God, Claire. Uh, all right, guys, we're going to do one uh, one more. It's not exactly a stir, but we're going to do one more thing before we take a break. Let's get a bunch of people from the House Theater up here to hear the first prologue from the Hammer Trinity. This is going to be Chris Matthews, who you saw, as well as Matt Edmonds, Gabby Labatka, Joe Bianco, uh, Patrick Falcon, and Derek Matson. <laughs> the Iron Stag King. Prologue. Darkness. Music. Visions play out before us as a voice speaks out from darkness. Once, upon a time, all the lands were one, their unity protected by a great and powerful hammer. For generations, the hammer was passed from father to daughter and mother to son, as only a true heir could bear its weight. For this service, the heirs were crowned, and for generations, the land was led by good kings and queens who ruled the folk by balance of might and right. All was right in the land. Until a selfish and powerful magician named Eirik Obsidian told a story in which everyone had strength to lift the hammer, in which the crowns had lied and the crownless ruled themselves. And though it was only a tale, it began a bloody rebellion. Piece by piece, the land was torn apart. At last, a desperate alliance marched toward certain death against the hammer in the fields at New Plymouth. It was there, with victory in her grasp, but pity growing in her heart, that Catherine Gray, Lady of the Grass, declared, The hammer is too heavy for my hand to hold alone. Thus, a republic was formed, led by representatives of five lands. Gordon Pride. Blood Rite of the Lion, Warden of the Vale. Henley Hawthorne, Pen Crown of the Delta Throne. Davy Boone, Keeper of the Salt. Kaylin Wayne, First Ranger of the Glaze. And of course, Catherine Gray, Lady of the Grass, Lone Born of the Lavender Crowned, and True Heir to the Hammer. They named themselves The Hand, joining together to raise the hammer on rule on matters of greater good. Not one... But no longer alone, the lady's compromise had forged a fragile peace. But then, a great and terrible thing occurred. Gordon places a loving hand on Catherine's belly. A child was conceived. When news of this reached the hand, the other three became furious. For if two of the five lands were joined, the remaining powers would be diminished. The balance had tipped. The hand was crippled. Old, paranoid fears drew a mutinous new divide and the blood we once believed in. The blood that had always held right and might in balance was spilled and lost. Fate to black. Seemingly forever. The bridge bell is heard ringing in the distance, lights up into real time. Hap enters. He is out of breath. He looks over the bodies of Catherine and Gordon. He takes a moment to collect himself. In the distance, men approach. He quickly pulls a cloth from his shoulders and, drawing a small blade, kneels beside the body of the woman. Hap cuts the baby from Catherine's womb, saving its life. He wraps the baby in cloth and closes his eyes, speaking a silent prayer into the woods. Galloping hard, a giant stag answers his call. 
It enters and bows. He places the swaddled child in the antlers of the stag and whispers into its ear. Hurry. The stag rears and gallops away. Three men enter. Henley Hawthorne, a Jeffersonian prince. Davy Boone, a hooded pirate. And Caelan Wayne, an Arctic explorer. The Republic has failed. The hammer is fallen. The story is ended. Yes, but a new story is just begun. Casting a spell, Hap sets fire to the bodies and the woods around them. The crownless fade. Hap escapes, and the stag runs from the blaze. Exiting the fiery woods, we follow the stag as it crosses beautiful lands. The lone born of lion and lavender, the heir to the great hammer, carrying in him the hope of a united land, was rescued far and away from the murder of his parents on the antlers of an iron stag. He was taken to a secret and most remote corner of the land, where his name and the truth of his blood may be shielded from the eyes of those who would call themselves crownless. The stag slows and enters a clearing where a man is building a house. Eben Kent cautiously comes down off the roof to greet the stag. The stag bows to him, offering the swaddled baby. Eben picks up the swaddled child. The stag stands, looks, and runs away. And there today the young man waits to begin a great adventure. For even he does not know the providence his mother bestowed to him. The Iron Stag King. Story, save us all. Thank you, guys. Story, save us all, indeed. We're going to hear more stories and get some more salvation after this break. For our, uh, our next request, let's turn to uh, Chris Geiger slash Casey Kasem with number three. Our third song of the evening was championed by one Adam Brakeman from Chicago, Illinois, who says, Dear Bat Arthur Nerdologues, I just can't get enough Batman. My yeah. favorite character in all of Batman is Lucius Fox. I especially love how he lectures Bruce Wayne about the ethics of surveillance in the dark night. I've always felt that Christopher Nolan intended this song to be on the soundtrack to that movie, even though the other songs were instrumental music, and this is by a nitty band. I want to hear Lucius sing, Don't Just Sit There. Strong, strong words to billionaire playboy Bruce Wayne. Those strong words make Adam's request are, Number three. <laughs> Don't just sit there. Tell me what I want to know. What I want to
tell me what I want to know, what I want to know. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.